You're listening to the Desperation Podcast. This message comes from our 2014 Desperation Conference, Jesus Reigns. For more information, visit us at desperationonline.com. Hey, everybody, all of you. It's such an honor to be here with all of you. I'm John Eldridge, by the way. Um, And... I think we have a real, I think we have something really cool that Jesus wants to do this afternoon. John says um, in his first letter to the church after he wrote his gospel, the, the letter that he wrote to the church, he said this. He's explaining why the Bible. Why the Bible? Why all that? And he says, from the very first day, we were there. Taking it all in, we heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes. We verified it with our hands. The word of life appeared right before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of the Father and Jesus. And then he says this, he says, our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy it too. Okay, like, whoa, whoa. Do you understand that that the New Testament is written so that you can experience Jesus as intimately as Mary did? As intimately as John did. Like everything they had, Thomas, James, Joanna, All that they knew and experienced of Jesus, you get that. Like that's the whole purpose for this, the intimacy. So I'm going to go on a little bit of a treasure hunt in the time that they've given me on stage here. And the treasure that I want to look for is Jesus really. Because see, personality is the issue. Personality is what makes someone fall in love with you, right? The things you love, the people you love, the animals you love, it's because of their personality, right? It's because your dog has a taste for underwear or because your grandfather always drinks too much at the Thanksgiving meal and tells off-color jokes. You know, it's those kinds of things that cause you to love someone. My grandmother lived to be 101, sharp as a tack to the last day of her breath. And every time we went to her house, I never saw my grandmother except totally dressed up and in her pearls. She always had her pearls on. Her arguments with my grandfather in the kitchen were always hysterical. And being the fierce Irish Catholics that they were, they also, they also had a taste for Irish whiskey personality is what makes someone endearing. It's what makes you like them. It's what draws your heart to them. It's what enables you to trust them. My grandfather, her husband, last time I saw my grandfather, he was 88 years old. Okay. And he had a black eye and I'm like, pop, what happened? And he's like, Oh, those whippersnappers. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, what whippersnappers? Like, and he goes on to tell you, bar fight. (laughs) My grandfather at 88 was in a bar fight. I'm like, pop, pop, like, whoa, like there's just a time to kind of let all that go, you know? Personality, right? I was so happy when they blessed the Chipotle burritos at lunch today because I love a good burrito. I love it. And I mean, come on, Chipotle, while you're here in Colorado, I hope you get one. Like, yeah, guacamole and peppers and onions and black beans and really fresh salsa. Okay. A great burrito because of its personality. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There is this product that they sell in the gas station. And I know that it says burrito on the package and you put it in the microwave. But it's like, it's not, 
It's not. You know, you have burrito kind of. It's like they, it's like they played a trick on you. You know, they put burrito on the package, but they slide something else, you know, under the wrapper there. The personality has been taken away. You probably had this happen to you with some of your favorite music, right? You're in the dentist office or you're walking through the grocery store at two in the morning and you hear a song that you love, kind of, right? But the elevator music people got a hold of it. Okay, let, let, me, let me show you what I mean. I love you too. I love with or without you, all right? So we're gonna roll a little track of that, with or without you. Right? Okay, so like that didn't take a lot to get you there. Personality, okay? But the elevator music people got a hold of it. And here is the version you can buy on iTunes. Like, make it stop. Like, that is, you see what I'm, okay, you see what I'm talking about? Like, burrito, but not really. Music, but not really. Okay, this is exactly what has happened to Jesus. The poverty of the world today is that we have lost the personality of God. Jesus of Nazareth came as a human being. I mean, it's the most phenomenal thing in the world. He came as a man to bring God down to us, to rescue us from all of our fears and kind of whacked out views of God that people had fallen into in the story of mankind. Jesus comes. And he's like, here, I'm here. This is it. If you want to know what the father's like, like, here it is. I'm it. Touch me, hear me, experience me. Jesus is how we know what the heart of God is like. Okay. So to fall in love with Jesus is the most extraordinary thing that can ever happen to a human being. Really? I mean, there's nothing that compares to it. To experience his life, his love, to experience him as he really is, is the most transforming thing that could ever happen to any of us, right? And here's the deal. You can't, you can't when he's been stripped of his personality, Okay, when they did the bait and switch like they did with the burrito or with you too. That's what's happened with Jesus. I mean, have you seen like some of the great famous historic art of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? You know what I'm talking about? Those historic paintings, (laughs) right? Like anorexic Jesus, you know, Or, or the one where it's like homeless Jesus, right? That guy. You know, or the Jesus looking all pale and scared, kind of emo Jesus. <laughs> I'm serious. This stuff, like, I want to throw a chair through a window. This, this is the great depiction of Christ down through the centuries. What does that do to people's view of God? Right? It's horrible. It's horrible. And then more recently... What we have are those Sunday school videos of Jesus, right? Just kind of the sweetest guy you could ever meet. Right? I mean, there it is. Cotton candy Jesus. Right? Marshmallow Jesus. Creepy religious Jesus. 
You cannot fall in love with that. You can't trust your life to that. Right? You fall in love with a person because of their personality, because of who they are as a human being. Oh, if we could get the personality, if we could get the personality of Jesus back, if we could know what he's really like, okay? So we're going to ask him, and then we're going to take this little journey together. Jesus, rescue us. Rescue us. Rescue us from all of the emo, haunted, creepy, cotton candy, religious Jesus that has gotten in without us even knowing it. Like, Jesus, rescue us. So here's how we're going to pray. We're going to say, Jesus, I ask you to show me who you really are. I long for the real you. I pray for the real you. Jesus, come. Remove every religious veil. Remove all religious fog. And I pray that you would reveal to me and open my heart and open my mind and open my eyes. Let me see you as you really are. I want to know you really. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay. All right. So let's, let's start with, does Jesus have a sense of humor? How come you don't seem to see it in the Gospels? Right? How come you don't? I mean, Jesus seems like a pretty serious guy in the Gospels, right? Did he tell jokes? Does he play tricks on his friends? Like, what's it like to be around somebody who's always serious? I don't want to take a car ride with that person, right? Let alone give my life to them. Does God have a sense of humor? Well, step away from the text for a moment and just look at, look at creation. Look at the world he made. You can learn a lot about an artist, right, by the music that they create. I mean, these would be very fun people to hang out with, right? Rang Collective. I mean, you just kind of go, wow, all right, so far out, you know? Not boring people, people you want to bring with you on vacation. So you learn a lot about an artist by the kind of artwork they create. What about God, right? Well... Have you ever looked face-to-face at an ostrich? Okay. I mean, have you ever, like, seen him, his beak, his beady eyes, like, face-to-face with an ostrich? Alex, do we have the the ostrich picture? Maybe we don't, and I just kind of go on here and go, okay, so ostrich, so, like, funny feathers, beaky face, you know, pointy, pointy beak, buggy eyes. Or how about hippos? Now, really, the funny thing about hippos is the size of their tail compared to the rest of their body. Hasn't something in nature cracked you up? Right? And did you understand that God wanted you to laugh? That he laughed with you? Like when your dog grabs your underwear and takes off down the hall and, you know, that kind of thing, right? Creation is filled with the playfulness of God. We had um, our sons were helping us clean the house a couple years ago, and we had Sam and Luke do the big window in the dining room, and it has this wooden, you know, divider down the middle like a lot of windows do, and they were so not into it that they divided the window, and Sam did half, and Luke did half, and so they cleaned the window, and then a couple hours later, it's dinner time, and Samuel's giving Luke grief about not doing a good job on his part of the window. And so he's, you know, kind of holding forth and dissing on Luke. And he's like, oh, who's the slacker? Who, you know, everybody turns their attention to look at the windows. Sunlight's coming through. At that moment, a bird, whack, (laughs) hits Luke's side of the window. Right? Because he thought it was cleaner. And then, you know, he's kind of sort of thing. Then he flies away. Like God's timing 
His sense of humor, oh my goodness. He is a, okay, so you look at creation, you see it. Now let's go back into the gospels. I think the humor of Jesus is here. I just think the creepy religious Jesus has clouded our view of most of these stories. All right? So I'm going to go to the story that takes place in John chapter 21. And this is a story. So this is after the resurrection. The Roman government executed Jesus of Nazareth. The greatest tragedy the world has ever known. They took his body, threw it in a borrowed tomb. Three days later... Jesus came back is the most extraordinary thing that has ever happened on this planet. Okay? So Jesus of Nazareth is back. And he appears first to Mary Magdalene. And then he appears to a few of the disciples. And then it's about seven days later, maybe ten days later in this story. And he's gone. And they don't know where he went. So Peter and some of his buddies, Nathaniel, some of these guys... They decide they're going to go fishing, all right, <clears throat> which is actually kind of the funny part of the story because you're like, these are the guys that are going to change the world, okay? And the, Jesus isn't around for a couple of days, and so they bail to the lake. All right, so here's how John tells the story. He says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. I love it that he says that. He's like, no, no, like, like. I'm I'm telling you the truth. Like this actually happened just like this. So what happens is, is that Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, two other disciples are together. Peter says, I'm going out to fish. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they replied. Pause. Okay, this is the risen Lord. Okay, this is after the resurrection. He has accomplished, you know, the ransom of mankind. He's been restored to God, his father, and the world he made. He launches the revolution called Christianity. And he just kind of comes, he's just walking up on the beach. They don't even know it's him, right? And he doesn't holler out, come thou unto me, let us pray. Right? Or do like the Mount of Transfiguration thing. Just, you know, aircraft landing lights, radiant glory. Just, you know, it is I, the Lord, come thou unto me. Wait, 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 wait. He's just standing on the beach in disguise. He's got his hands in his pockets and he asked the question that tourists always ask fishermen. Hey, any luck? How's it going? How's the fishing? Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. To get this story, you got to go back three years. <clears throat> three years ago, these men, these very men had their lives forever changed by an encounter with this man on this shore while they were in that exact boat in the exact same scenario. Okay. Remember the story? And Jesus says, so um, he gives, he's calling his disciples. It's the beginning of the movement. And he says to them, you didn't catch any fish. And they said, no. And he says, go back out there, throw your nets on the other side and you'll catch some. And Peter's reaction at first is like, who's this joker? He doesn't know anything about fishing. He goes, but master, he says, we've been up all night. But if, if you say so, if you say so, we'll, we'll, we'll put the boats back out. And then you remember what happens, right? Bam! There's this miraculous catch of fish and the nets are breaking. And that's, that's their moment. That's it. The, the text ends. That story ends. It says they left everything and followed him. Okay, so this is their story. It's like the inside joke. It's their little thing between themselves. Oh, how many times did they retell this story over the next three years as they're sitting around their campfires laughing, recalling what happened. They're like, Peter, 
The look on your face was priceless. You know, all of that. This is their thing. This is how they met Jesus. Okay. So my sons have this thing that they do with one another to find one another in a crowd. Um, It's a Wookiee call. It goes kind of like this. I like that. They do it a lot better than dad does. All right. And so when you're in a crowded building, you're in the mall or you're at a concert, that sort of thing. And Blaine goes, you know, you go, whoa, Blaine's in the room, you know, sort of thing. Okay. So it's three years later. They're on the same beach. It's the same story. Up all night, no fish. Jesus is there. And Jesus just kind of walks into the scene, doesn't let him know it's him. And just kind of stands there like some guy on the beach, you know, out for a morning stroll. And he says, hey, how's it going? And they say, it's not going great. And he says, well, you know what? Try the other side. You, you might find some on the other side. And so they do. And bam, miraculous catch of fish. Do you see the joke in this? This is, this is how Jesus lets them know it's him. It's, he goes, pow, miraculous catch of fish. And John goes, oh, it's Jesus. And Peter is in the water and he's swimming. Okay. Jesus is standing there. They don't know it's him. Pow, miraculous catch of fish. And it's like he goes. It's me. Remember? Right? Oh, you guys, you spent way too much time in Sunday school. Let me try this again. <laughs> Let me try this again. We got to get rid of creepy religious Jesus. So, all right, that was seven days after his resurrection. How, 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 about, the, how about on Easter morning? Easter morning, Luke 24. On Easter morning, this is the story of the Emmaus Road. We've all heard it like we've gone numb to it. This is an unbelievable story of the personality and the heart of God. Now, to get this story straight, you you have three characters. You have two men. It says, now on the same day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Okay, so these are his followers, his friends. They were part of the inner ring and they bet everything on Jesus, and all they know is he's dead. They don't know about Easter. They don't know about the rest of the New Testament. They don't know the history of the church. It's over. From their perspective, it's over. It's all over. They are totally devastated, devastated, heartbroken, grief-stricken, Okay, these two guys, and they're leaving. They're leaving. They're leaving the whole thing. They're going home, seven miles back to Emmaus. So they're just walking along, talking about it. Tears, grief. All right, and then you have another character, Jesus. Now, in order to understand the story from his point of view, I want to ask you, what is Jesus's mood on Easter morning? Right? I mean, he rose from the dead. Right? Ransomed mankind. He went to hell on Saturday, took the keys away from Satan, let a train of captives free. Boom! Burst out of the tomb. Victorious. Ransoms mankind. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess he's fairly happy. Right? Have you even asked yourself, what is Jesus' mood on Easter morning? So you got two guys devastated. You got Jesus, like, very happy, 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 happiest person that ever lived. Okay, can we guess that? That's probably safe to say. All right, so here's what happens. It says this. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, the two guys, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. You're like, what? What? Okay, and it goes on. And it says, and Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? 
They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, Cleopas, asked him, what are you, new? Are you a tourist? Right? He says, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? You do not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus says, what things? (laughs) What? 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 Wait a minute. Time out. Like, Your friends, when your friends are in distress, when they're heartbroken, when they've suffered massive loss, and your first encounter with them, do you begin by putting on a disguise? I don't want them to recognize me, right? Like, no, you rush in, you love. Like, if there was ever a moment that cried out for Jesus to reveal himself and say, hey, guys, 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 look, 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 woo, like, I'm alive. Hey, check it out. Like, this is amazing. Huh? Pretty cool, right? He doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. These two guys are walking along and Jesus just sort of huffs up alongside, you know, and he's like talking to him. What? Right? And then he asks them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And he said, and they, they're like, you don't know everything that's been happening in Jerusalem these days? And Jesus says to them, ah, what things? Okay, okay, hang on. Jesus' behavior is either A, bizarre. It's just bizarre. Or B, Sunday school answer, Jesus decided to do the very first thing on his resurrection morning was to sneak up on two of his disciples and catch them in their unbelief so he could drive home a spiritual lesson for the church. You just go like, like, that's sick. That's like, who would do such a thing? Like to someone who's hurting, like that's just nasty. Okay, so hang on, hang on. You, you're gonna flip. Like the real Jesus, the real Jesus is absolutely unbelievable. Here's how the story goes on. And they go, Jesus says, uh-uh, what things? And they go, about Jesus of Nazareth. Right? They're talking to him. Right? What is Jesus doing? What's he thinking inside? So they walk along for a while, and Jesus starts holding forth on highlights from the Old Testament. They still don't know who it is. And then listen to this sentence. It says, Okay, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, sorry. Okay, here we go. Here we go. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they had to urge him strongly to stay with them, right? And Jesus is like, well, yeah, I, I am so sorry for your loss. I really, I'm, I'm heartbroken for you, but I, I have to get going, right? And they're like, no, 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 stay with us, bizarre stranger. Like, stay with us, eat with us. And Jesus goes, oh, okay. <laughs> what? what? Okay, unbelievable, unbelievable. So he goes in and they convince him to stay. And you remember how the rest of the story goes, right? He breaks bread and he reveals himself, right? It's me. And then what happens? Poof. <laughs> gone. Like literally, poof, it's gone. He disappears. What do you make of these stories? What do you do with this? Oh my goodness. Given that he is the happiest person on earth on the most joyful day of his life, like it's better than birthday and it's better than Christmas. It's your resurrection for heaven's sakes, right? And these are his pals and he comes up alongside and he's talking to them. He's like, no, we think, well, gotta go. Oh, okay, well, I'll come in and, you know. Okay, if you think I am stretching this, stay with the story, okay? So here's what happens. He disappears, and they go, oh my gosh, it was God. And so they go running back to Jerusalem, seven miles in the dark. They go back to Jerusalem. They find Peter and, and, and Mary and the gang all there in the upper room, okay? And they're talking to them. And they're telling them what happened, okay? And it says, 
while they were still talking about this. Like, can you imagine the, like how the disciples are trying to track with this story? They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. He like, he came up, but he was in disguise. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we didn't, we didn't really understand that part. And then, wait, 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 you're, wait, you said, and then he acted as if he was going somewhere else. And they're like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, we don't, we don't know why. But then he came in and then he saw it was you and you saw it was him and he disappeared. Okay, that's the story they're telling. It says right here, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself appeared among them, right? And said, peace be with you. Oh my gosh. Like, oh my gosh. Yes, like you're getting it. Do you see how hysterical this story is? Like the disciples, you know, Peter and John and those guys are like, wow, Cleopas, like, I don't know, man, this is, this is a pretty hard story to swallow. Like, I, we'd love to believe you and all of a sudden, boom, there he is. Jesus is, Jesus is standing there and it's like he's saying, yeah, that was me. Yep. I did it just like that. Oh my goodness, the playfulness of Jesus. And for you to begin to experience the playfulness of Jesus yourself. Like this is available. All the little playful things he'll do and how good it is for your heart to know this. I was, I was in the taste and see passage for a while. Taste and see that the Lord is good and that kind of thing. And I, I came down to the table one night with a group of guys. They're having hamburgers. And um, I look at a ketchup bottle it's staring at me across the table and the ketchup bottle says, taste and see. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, like your ability to do this stuff is unbelievable. Like his timing, his sense of humor. Look at, I asked you the question, does God have a sense of humor? Well, look, you do. Where did you get that? Right? Like how could Jesus be like, this like always serious, stern guy that's kind of always teaching the Bible. Here's the wild thing. Back in the story on the beach, back when he, you know, appears to his guys and boom, does the miraculous catch of fish again. Do you know what they do afterwards? Jesus does not invite them to a Bible study. He says, hey, bring some of the fish you've had. Let's have breakfast. And you're like, breakfast. Like you're the risen Lord. Like, aren't you supposed to be doing like spiritual things? Like... Shouldn't we like go back to the temple or like, are you going to have like a Bible study or something? He never even appears in the temple after his resurrection. He is real. Jesus is a real person with a real personality. All right, time for another wild story. John chapter two, the wedding at Cana. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Okay, and Jesus replies in one of those bizarre things that if you don't have the personality of Jesus, you read really weird stuff into this Bible. Jesus says, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. (laughs) Like, is it rude? It sounds rude. Right? Or is it like wispy Jesus? Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Right? Creepy religious Jesus. The thing is, you know it's not rude and you know it's not weird because his mother doesn't even respond. She just turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Like, she gets him. She gets Jesus. Okay, listen to the story. Listen to the story. Okay, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Right? Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they did. To the brim, the scripture makes the point. To the brim. Right? And then he says to them, now draw some out. And take it to the master of the banquet. (laughs) Okay. Um, Gang, listen. 
This is late in the wedding reception. The scripture tells you that they've already emptied the cupboards. They've already drunk everything that was in the house to drink. Okay. So it's like what? 10 o'clock, 11 PM. At that moment, Jesus kicks into the party, 180 gallons of wine. That is 682 liters. That is 908 bottles of wine. This would get you kicked out of most churches. Do you see his playfulness? Do you see his goodness, his kindness, his generosity? And he doesn't even like make a deal of it. He just says to the servants, yeah, go ahead and fill all those with water. Yeah, yeah, all the way to the top. There you go. And now take some out. Uh, Take it to the master of the banquet and blow his mind. (laughs) Right? Where did 180 gallons of wine come? Okay, I'm not suggesting that Jesus got the entire village of Cana hammered. However... However, however, if you want to see kind of that creepy religious thing that gets into the church, watch how people freak out over this. Like I didn't do the miracle. I just did the math. Okay. 908 bottles of wine. Jesus is like, bam, there you go. Carry on. Right. (laughs) Nobody has to go home yet. Like let the party go. Right. Oh, he is unbelievable. Jesus is unbelievable. He is so free and he is so scandalous. Jesus is absolutely scandalous. Okay. We know all about his kindness. We know all about his kindness. We like, like we just keep, you know, he's kind, he's loving, he's kind, he's loving, he's kind, loving. And after a while he he sounds like a get well card, you know, (laughs) he's just, Jesus is just always nice. But then you get the story right after this one in John two of the clearing of the temple. Listen to this. When it was almost time for the Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he used it to drive all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Um... Okay, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You know, you hear all this stuff in church. The Lord is a gentleman, right? That kind of stuff, creepy religious Jesus stuff. He walks into the the cattle. Okay, you got sheep and you have livestock. You have money changers. Jesus surveys the situation. And then he goes and he makes a whip. This is going to be really troubling for pacifists. Jesus is not the poster child for pacifism. He makes a weapon and then he uses it, right? Now, hang on. Like Jesus has been around this stuff long enough to know what it takes to move cattle and sheep out of the temple area. I mean, can you imagine the pandemonium? Here comes Jesus, a man in anger with his whip flying upon them, driving everything out of the thing. Like... They, you know, ooh, the animals are, you know, bellowing, and, right? And animals feed on each other's panic. And so you've got sheep, right? And, and the cattle, and they're running into each other and bellowing and stuff like that. And then their keepers are freaking out. So they've jumped up from their siesta, and now they're running around trying to get everything back. In the midst of this, Jesus walks over to the money changer tables. Now, listen, it's all about the money. This whole thing is about the money. Now, does he say, gather that up and leave? No, he walks over and goes, right? Deal with it. Get out of here. Like, it's unbelievable. It's it's violent. He's provoking a riot. Can you imagine this? Can Can you picture Gandhi pulling this off? Right? Or Buddha? Right? Or all those religious Jesus. Could a gentle man with a meek voice get the hence? I saith unto thee, get thee 
Hence, like Jesus is a locomotive. He is powerful and threatening. He is fierce. Okay. Okay, so right on. And this, this is our Jesus. What would it be like to know Jesus is fierce on your behalf? You learn a lot about a person by what makes them mad, right? People who throw like huge conniption fits over super small stuff. You're like, whoa, like little story, get a bigger story, you know? But but like if if there was a YouTube video of Mother Teresa, like ranting and raving and throwing stuff out the window, you would watch it. Because you're like, holy cow, I didn't know that there was like more to her. Like we got the gentle and kind and loving thing, but what do we have here? And then, and then, okay, unbelievable. The stories keep rolling. His personality is beginning to emerge. You have the famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is a big deal. It wasn't called the Sermon on the Mount at the time. It was the message that he gave on some random mountain, okay? But it's going to become a big deal. This is going to be the most famous sermon in the world, right? And in it, three chapters long, in it, Jesus puts all his cards on the table. Like, everybody's been wondering, who is this man? What does he stand for? Is this the Messiah? Is this the king? Like, can we put our trust in him? The police are watching him. The Pharisees are like checking out his every statement. And so here Jesus lays out everything. He says, it's not about the external. It's about the internal. It's all about the life of the heart. Okay? So he lays out what he believes is a life that pleases God. Lays it all out there. Draws a line in his sand. His star is rising. The crowds are growing. This is a pretty big moment. It's early in the show. It's early in the revival, right? The next thing he does, it says, when he went down from the mountain, large crowds followed him and a man with leprosy ran up to him. Okay, so to get this story, you've got to understand first this tragic figure. Leprosy is heinous, like your toes fall off, your fingers, you lose your skin. It is horrible stuff. It's, it's like nightmare stuff. And Leviticus said that these people could not bathe. They could not wash their hair. They had to wear torn clothing and a veil over their face. So we're talking pretty serious woundedness and pretty serious rejection. Okay. And the law made it very clear. If you touch one of these people, you're out. You're one of them. You're out. Morally, politically, religiously, socially, you're out. You're out. Okay? Jesus has already healed a number of people simply by speaking, just saying the word. This guy runs up. Jesus is walking down the mountain from his big press conference, the big moment, right? You remember what he does? He walks over and he says, I'm willing. I'm willing be healed. He touches him. This is so scandalous. Like this is okay. This is the equivalent of like, if like Ren Collective or the Perkins, like after the conference, you go outside and they're sitting around out there like doing bongs, you know, <laughs> or, or like they got a bottle of tequila and, you know, they're putting it back and waving it. Hey, everybody. How are you? You know, no, like, like, like your reaction to like walking out to there and finding, you know, Pastor Brady smoking a doobie, that, that is the exact emotional impact of this moment. Like Jesus, don't you care about your credibility? The press is here. All of the religious are here and you're going to do what? You're going to blow the whole thing? Do you see how awesome he is? He is totally free from what people think of him. Totally free. All right. Couple more stories. Couple more stories because his personality, his personality is beginning to emerge here. You've got this scandalous freedom. You've got this unbelievable kindness. You have this 
fierceness, right? I mean, the God of a thunderstorm, right? Oh, my goodness. And then you get his playfulness. You know, hey, fellas, what are you talking about? Unbelievable. I mean, like, he's rich. He's real. He's fully dimensional. Like, he's a real human being. He's a real person. Okay? A couple more stories. So, John chapter 4 is the story of the woman at the well. Now, okay, we've heard this story hundreds of times, but we missed it. We've missed it. You've got to understand a couple things. Apparently, in his era, a rabbi would never, ever speak to a woman in public, not even his wife. Okay? <clears throat> and a single rabbi would never speak to any woman in public, ever. So you got that. In addition to that, Jews do not speak to Samaritans, right? They were the half-breed tribe. It's just racism, good old-fashioned Southern racism, okay? Uh, it's in the human heart. It's not just in the South. Okay, so, so you got that scenario. And most of the Jews, when they were going from Jerusalem north, they would go around Samaria. It would add an extra day or two to their journey, but that was that. Okay, so the story begins like this. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. Uh, Jesus, oh my goodness, here he goes again. So he came into a town in Samaria called Sychar, right? Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, listen to this, tired as he was from the journey. You understand that the incarnation is real. Jesus's humanity is real. Okay, or, or he just becomes this wispy thing in the clouds really quickly, right? You, you lose him up in the stained glass. He's tired and he's thirsty. And a woman from the town comes out to draw water. Now, we know a few things about this woman. She, she doesn't have a lot of boundaries, right? Like sexually, she's, she's kind of the town slut. Really? No, that's like the story here. Like she, she, this is a broken girl. This is a girl with a lot of things going on inside. And, she, and everybody knows, you know, she sleeps around, okay? So here's what you get. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How is it that you ask me for a drink? Right? I mean, what? This is the stuff that the tabloids would love to get a hold of, okay? This is, this is like, Jesus, what are you doing for heaven's sakes? Why are you in Samaria in the first place? And now you're at this well, and now you're talking to this woman, like out of town and oh my goodness, what is a girl supposed to think? Is he coming on to her? Is, you know, is this kind of a, right? And, and uh, it's unbelievable. And Jesus says back to her, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. <laughs> Another one of those things where you go, unless you have his personality in this, you just go, wow, that's really bizarre. Was that like for the Bible or something, you know? <laughs> Listen to how she responds. Okay, a first century Palestinian woman with no legal rights is kind of taking Jesus on. I love this gal. She is super feisty, okay? <laughs> she says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get? this living water. She's like a waitress in a tough cantina, right? She's like, hey, Rabbi, you got no rope? Where are you going to get this water? I mean, oh my goodness. And Jesus, Jesus is going after her heart. All right. <clears throat> Jesus tries to explain to her, look, I'm not talking about like physical water. I'm talking about, you know, the spirit of God that I want to give to you. And then something shifts in the conversation. 
And the girl says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't have to get thirsty and come back here to keep drawing water. And then Jesus tells her, Um, go get your husband. (gasps) Whoa, what has just shifted in the conversation, right? I mean, something's going on here. Here you have this incredibly handsome, kind, generous, playful, fierce man with eyes like the ocean, right? Talking to this woman outside of town, and she's like, um... All right. And then Jesus goes, oh, no. Um, why don't you go get, go get your husband? And she says to him, I have no husband. Well, technically that's true. She's living with a man and she's had five husbands. Okay. Why does she hide this? Do you see this moment? It's unbelievable. His integrity is unbelievable. His fierceness is unbelievable. His cunning, he is so cunning with this woman. He's like, ah, go call your husband and then come back. And she goes, I don't have any husband. You know, like I'm not, you know, kind of thing. And Jesus goes, well, he goes, yeah, that's true. He said, you've had five and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Can you imagine her reaction? I mean, what does she do? Drop her bucket? (laughs) Like he just read her the secrets of her diary. And then she says, oh, it's unbelievable. Like she's trying to kind of do this whole thing. And Jesus is just so phenomenally cunning and kind in this. And finally, at the end of the dialogue, she goes, I know that when Messiah comes, he will make all things known to us. In other words, she's saying to him, are you, are you who I think you are? And Jesus just goes, yeah. <laughs> she runs off. She gets the rest of the village. They come back and the story ends with a Jewish rabbi spending two more days hanging out with the Samaritans. Unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. I, 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 hardly, I hardly know how to go on. His, his brilliance, his brilliance. They come to him to try and trap him with the taxes thing. So you've got Herod's people and you've got the temple police, the religious, you know, guys. And they say, should we pay taxes? And they're trying to trap him, right? This is basic politics. If you can label somebody, you can kick them out, right? You're a liberal, you're a conservative, right? You know, you're religious, right? You're gay. If you can label someone, you can kick them out, right? You just dismiss them. And so they're trying to trap Jesus. And he says, well, let me see a coin. They give him a coin and they say, he says, "Uh, whose inscription is this? And they say, well, it's Caesar's. And he goes, yeah, okay. So give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. Do, do you understand? Do you think of Jesus as the smartest person who ever lived? He is so smart. Like he's brilliant at this. In one moment, he appeases Herod's people, they're like, well, that sounds pretty good. He wants people to pay their taxes. But then he comes over here on the other side and he says, no, but you need to give to God what's God. And so he appeases the temple guys. Oh, he's unbelievable. He's absolutely. Okay, how about this? His brilliance, his kindness, his playfulness, his fierceness, his cunning, his generosity. How about the humility of Jesus? The humility of Jesus. Think of it. The one, John says that everything in this world and everything in this universe was created through Jesus Christ. But think of it. When he came to earth, somebody had to teach him how to talk. Right? Baby Jesus. This is that creepy religious stuff. You see the away in the manger and the nativity scenes and the Christmas cards, right? Baby Jesus. He looks like he's the, he looks like, he's like a mini adult, you know? All those pictures. It looks like he's ready to become prime minister. Like, no, no, no. It was real. The incarnation is real. God is not faking it 
Or what do you make of Gethsemane? Was he faking it in Gethsemane? Right? Kind of putting on a show for the church. Oh, oh no, the nails really hurt. It was actually pretty heinous. His incarnation is real. And so the humility of Jesus, somebody has to teach him how to tie his shoes. Imagine seven-year-old Jesus in the carpenter shop out back with his dad, Joseph, learning to use a hammer and a saw. The creator of the universe. And he's out there, you know, how'd I do, dad? Do you see? Oh, it's stunning in its beauty. The humility of Jesus, his humility in just walking everywhere. Right? All those stories. Jesus is just walking. Like a guy who can't come up with bus fare. Like any, the only way he can get around is as fast as his two sore feet will take him. He does his own laundry, for heaven's sakes. Right? Down at the river, washing his robe. And can we talk about the robe for a minute? Please, please, please. Okay, look, Jesus wore a robe and sandals because that's what everyone wore in those days. Like you go to the store and it's, it's just robe and sandals, right? You, the, your only choice is what size, right? There's nothing like, everywhere we see we, Jesus depicted in, ooh, you know, the robe and sandals, you know? There's nothing like holy about the robe and sandals. It was the, it was the dress of the day, okay? And the white robe, why do all the movies have Jesus in a perfectly white robe? Because those were dirt roads. Those were dirt roads that he spent a lot of his life on, right? I mean, there's just no way. But that's that religious stuff again, the humility of Jesus, right? The humility to include us in this whole thing. It's unbelievable. Jesus is here to rescue mankind. And the first thing he does is start inviting others into the deal, right? Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. Nathaniel comes to Jesus, right? And Jesus says to Nathaniel, here is a true Israelite in whom nothing is false. And Nathaniel's like, the scripture says, how do you know me? I mean, he's a little offended. He's like, what? Who are you? And Jesus says, oh, I, I saw you before Philip came to get you. You were under the fig tree. And Nathaniel goes, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And the text goes, Jesus says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? <laughs> it's like, okay, tiger. I mean, you're pretty easily impressed. And then Jesus says to him, oh, you'll, you'll see greater things than this. Yes, he's going to see Jesus raise the dead. He's going to see him feed 5,000 people. He's going to see him walk on water. He's going to see him kick demons out of people. I just love Jesus' humility. He's like, wow, Nathaniel. Okay, buddy. Okay, pal. You believe because you, I told you I saw you under the fig tree. Great. That's all it takes. Come on. You're one of us. Right? The humility of Jesus. His incredible honesty. You know one of the things I love about Jesus most? is his ability to say what no one else will say, right? Goes to the Pharisee's house. Everybody's lined up at the wash basin doing the thing, you know, the religious thing. And Jesus doesn't do it. He just walks on by, sits down at the table, breaks a piece of pita bread off, you know, takes a bite. The, the Pharisee, his host, the scripture says, is aghast. He's speechless. And Jesus says, oh, oh, the washing thing. Yeah, um, totally misses the point. He says, you guys look great on the outside, but inside you are a haunted house. He says, you, you are full of greed and wickedness. Now, every time you're watching Jesus, you're watching love. Every time. Clearing the temple, that's love, right? Healing the leper, that's clearly love. Talking to this woman outside of town, holy cow, apparently love, right? All of this. And now this brutal honesty, oh my God. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> Revelation 3 is one of the most stunning invitations in all of Scripture. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man opens the door, I'll come in and we'll be intimate together. 
very, very, very intimate. The, the invitation is intimacy. But you, you want to see another classic religious thing, right? I mean, this is, this is like in all the Bibles and that kind of thing. Creepy religious Jesus knocking on the door, right? White robe, the glow around him, the whole thing. Like, you don't, you're not really sure you want to open the door to this guy, right? I mean, seriously, like you can't fall in love with a religious cartoon, You can't. You can't fall in love until you know him as he is. And one of your greatest fights now is going to be against the religious. The religious does not want you to know this. The enemy tried to stop this whole thing. He killed Jesus. That backfired. He tried to kill most of the early church. That backfired. And so then he said, if you can't lick them, join them. So the enemy's most brilliant scheme against Christianity is the kind of burrito. Burrito, not really. Music, not really. Wax fruit, gas fireplaces, plastic flowers. He takes Christianity, kind of. Christianity, kind of. Jesus, kind of. And it's got all the language there. Glory and all that, you know. But it's like, it's creepy. And it's religious. And it's not like Jesus. Okay, so like your fight is going to be for his true heart. His true heart, his true life to engage him, know him, love him. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm seeing the clock and my time's almost over. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray with you and I want to suggest three things for you to do. The three things are very simple. Please listen. Before you try and do anything to change the world, Do you understand that service for Jesus is the number one enemy of intimacy with Jesus? Did you know that? Okay. The people who spend the most time in service for God spend the least amount of time with him. This is proven to be true. Pastors, relief workers, they'll tell you this. The service sucks you in and it takes you away from the intimacy. And without the intimacy, you're cooked. You're cooked. You can't sustain the service. You just can't. So the number one thing is just begin to make a practice of loving Jesus. Just begin to make a practice of it, right? As you're walking to school... You're riding your motorcycle, you're in the car, wherever you are, just make a practice of loving Jesus. Okay? Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. You just begin to love him. Okay? Because John says, Jesus says in John 14, if anyone loves me, I'll come to him and I'll make myself known to him. So you just begin to make a practice of loving Jesus. The, the second thing is you must be vigilant to let him be himself with you. Get rid of the stained glass, marshmallow, candy corn, Jesus, right? Let him be himself with you. Let his personality into your life. Look for his playfulness. Look for his brilliance. Look for his scandalous freedom. Let him be himself with you, okay? And third, invite him into your disappointment and pain. And the reason is this, there is nothing like disappointment and pain to, to turn your heart away from God. The enemy uses it and, because you feel betrayed. Like, where was God in that? Where was God in my parents' divorce? Where was God in, in my abuse? Where was God in that shooting at school? Where was God in that? The enemy will use pain and disappointment to try and separate you from Jesus. You were born into a world at war. We don't have time for that now, but the scriptures make it very clear. You were born into a world at war. And all of that stuff is from the kingdom of darkness, from the evil one. It is not from God. None of it. But but you've got to invite Jesus in to the disappointment and the pain, or your heart will begin to just kind of pull away from him and you'll find it hard to experience him as he really is. Okay. So let's pray together through some of that. Jesus, 
Um, I pray you'd rescue us. I pray you'd rescue us from the religious, rescue us from the fog, from the substitute, from the counterfeit, from that which is kind of you, but not really you. Jesus, I just want to begin to make a practice of loving you. Help me love you. And I want you to feel free to be yourself with me. Be yourself with me. Jesus, give me eyes to see who you really are, how you really operate, what you're really like. Show me your personality. And then, Jesus, I pray that you would come into my disappointments and come into my suffering. Jesus, because this is where I'm losing heart. This is so true for so many of us. Come to us, Jesus. Come to us. Jesus, where we are losing heart. Jesus, I invite you into my disappointment and I invite you into my suffering. That is not from you. It's from my enemy who hates me, but it's not from you. And so I invite you in it to rescue my heart. Jesus, take away the veils, take away the fog. Show me who you really are. Show me your personality. Be yourself with me. I love you. Amen to that.